Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. you're going to be in a place to be and welcome to the podcast so before we get going i know you are the founder of the insecurity project so before we start talking about this i know you can speak better on it than i can why don't you give a brief introduction of yourself and basically the gist of what the insecurity project is and we'll take this party from there yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, look, so when I when I announced to my business coach maybe four years ago that I was going to call myself the Insecurity Project after, you know, I'd been coaching for eight years prior and and often all the work I'd been doing had been helping people uncover limiting beliefs and make change there. But I, I really went hard after this one word, insecurity. And he told me, no, no, Jamin, you can't do that. That's the wrong name. People are insecure about being insecure. Uh, no one's going to be reaching out to you because people are afraid. Uh, yeah. But I, I was ruined for anything else because I watch people suffer greatly because they don't know that insecurity is a solvable problem. They get stuck in these narratives about themselves and stuck in defending themselves and proving themselves so they don't get found out. And it it weakens them to the point of madness. And so I felt like my own experience of insecurity, it was solvable. And then all the clients I'd ever coached, I felt it too was solvable for them. And so it, it felt really unkind to hold back a framework and to end some unnecessary suffering in the world. So, so the insecurity project aims to provide some really clear, complete and intelligent thinking about a universal problem that most people think is not solvable. Most people imagine the best you can do with insecurity is just mask it or, or manage it or, or even medicate it just to get away from the pain of, of that gnawing, nagging fear that there's something wrong. Uh, so I have a podcast, I've written some books, I get to speak in this subject, I, I work with ambitious people who are trying to live their best life but have never known what to do with their past, with their fear, with these these stories that limit them. And so that that's, yeah, that's the insecurity project. This kind of reason we're kind of the reason why I wanted to talk to you about it, just because like you said, a lot of people probably do suffer from some type of, maybe suffer is not the right word, but have some type of insecurities and they're not, they're afraid to reach out to people just because they don't want to look bad or look like a fool mm. or, or, or possibly even make it worse. And, you know, for somebody saying, Oh, you should be insecure about X, Y, and Z, but you know, I mean, I find myself with part of it just as far as, you know, I think you touch on imposter syndrome a little bit and mm. in certain situations that starts to come around with me based on, you know, if I'm getting ready to do something um, as far as my workouts when I'm competing or just, or anything new or anything like that. But kind of like what you said, I feel like I've got a good handle on it now and know how to, when I start to feel a certain way, I put up a red stop sign in my head and like, all right, let's change my way of thinking here. And, and, uh, and change that. And that's what helps me is that, but it's still, you know, sticks in the back of my head every now and again, once it come back around. So do you think it's almost completely 
curable or is it just always going to kind of sit around, but you just got to get a uh, bead on it, so to speak? Well, I actually think it's completely solvable for your current level of growth. Not many people agree with me on that, but that's that's okay. So I think that not only is it solvable, I think it's our most important adult work is to free ourselves from the narratives that would hold us back, from the assumptions that say we can't have what we want or we don't belong or we're not good at. And I'm convinced that there are, you know, my life's work is, is represented in the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity. And I think they are effective. And, and the aim is to be fully free from insecurity at your current level of growth. So you are unhindered. You can show up at your best where it matters most. However, when you do that, the interesting experience is that you'll be free to explore new areas. You'll grow. You'll go beyond your current levels of comfort and experience. And so you'll experience new uncertainty and you will bang your head on new levels of insecurity as well. Um, so that won't represent regression. That'll just represent new narratives that have, that have been uncovered. You know, you worked out you were good enough for that level, but are you good enough for this, this level? You worked out you were good enough to earn that amount of money, but can you earn this amount of money? You know, you could work with this kind of person, but can you work with that kind of person? So again, the same seven practices that solved insecurity at the last level of growth can solve it at the next level of growth and on and on you go. So speaking of a level of growth, do you find that the older person gets, they find themselves with less insecurities? I'm sorry, my dog's barking right now for whatever reason, but he's a... Uh, but for level of growth is the older you get, you find yourself maybe with less insecurities based on maybe when you were younger and that you kind of learn. It doesn't automatically resolve itself. So I would say, uh, yeah, the older you get, if you don't find a way of resolving insecurities, then the more maddening your experience becomes. I think insecurity weakens the human being. It really undermines you. I, I feel agree. like all your best energy gets sent towards proving yourself and defending yourself. So you don't have energy left for growth and for um, for kindness and for relationships. So I, I think, yeah, it doesn't naturally solve itself just because you get older. It gets worse yeah, as you get older if you don't solve it. We all know people who are later in life who've never found a way out of their insecurities. You're not having a rational conversation with these people. You, you are speaking to their fear and it's it's got inside every every cell in their body. It's, it's in their bones. You can feel it. Uh, they, they've it's dehumanized them. I was just wondering that I just was kind of wondering if the older person gets, if they go through different experiences in life and they learn how to handle certain situations and they learn that, you know, for whatever reason they're having insecurity, whether it be their income or I don't know the way they look or is mm -hmm. that, yeah, anything, they just kind of learn that, you know, how to handle it. But I guess that makes more sense that you just stick with it if you don't really seek out help like with yourself and learn like you know with me like i listen to a few books or well, i'm an audio book guy i listen to some books and podcasts and talk to some different people like yourself and learn to get more of a beat on it and yeah so i guess if you don't do that then if you don't like you said if you don't solve the problem earlier it's probably just going to keep sticking with you and probably almost initially start getting worse and worse it it does and i i think that that's that's not just bad for the individual, it's bad for the world because if you show up weakened by this fear, then it changes the way you relate to your, your partner and your kids and your friends and your family. And so yeah. I think it kind of weakens the, the collective consciousness of the planet when, when we don't free ourselves from these narratives. So I, I think it's really important work. It's still rare. Most people won't. Most people won't find a way out of their limiting beliefs. They'll just compensate for them or bunker down around them. And so that's kind of the really, uh, the message that I feel is important to share is, no, this is a solvable problem and a really important one to solve for the sake of the planet. Uh, not just you, it'll obviously help you, but it helps everything around you and how exactly. you show up. And so the world gets healed as individuals heal their own fear and and heal their own past in, in many ways. What is I guess we already kind of touched on this a little bit, but do you think a lot of it is with maybe just modern times with, you know, social media information overload, always trying to be, you know, the top of, you know, a leader in their industry or whatever it is. And that's just almost too much for any one person to handle. And then when they might find a failure of some sort of, or even being rejected by their a mate or partner or whatever. I mean, and that's what starts to develop these. I mean, we find more and more problems in modern times, I guess is my question. 
Um, sure. I think the, the modern times just exacerbate the issue and speed up the issue. I don't think it really changes the fact that insecurity is this fear that I'm no good. And typically a person looks outside themselves to solve that problem. So a child, one, as if they're good enough, so then looks for their parents or their friends or their, their peers to kind of pump them up, make them feel good. Yep. Um, so most people go their whole life still externalizing their need for validation, approval, significance, love. And social media just helps people do that. It says, oh, we can, we can connect you with the world. You want people to validate you, to tell you you're awesome? Well, keep doing this, keep working hard at getting people's approval by what, how you look, how you can perform, what you can achieve. The problem is, though, it's all external, and the moment it falls down, you're left in deficit. Yeah. Or the moment you get one negative bit of external feedback, it ruins you. So, you know, the aim of the game, uh, I think a great metaphor for, the, for overcoming insecurity is actually fully becoming an adult. It's to realise that, you know, as an adult, you, you are the aim is to become self-sufficient. And that's not just financially and physical. It's actually emotional. It's, it's, it's intellectual. It's psychological. It's, it's the ability to learn how to fill your own cup, to validate your own existence, to reference your own opinion, to bring things in-house rather than externalizing them. So that's a big part of solving insecurity is becoming an adult and finding how to meet your own needs rather than needing the world to do that for you. So... If you, so you become an adult and you say, well, I reach out to somebody like yourself to start helping me with this problem. I mean, how would it start? I mean, how would the, do you start with an initial consultation and just kind of ask questions, I would assume, and just kind of see where the insecurities are coming from or what exactly insecurities are or just basically how does it, the whole work if I decide to reach out for somebody and get some help? Yeah, yeah, sure. So the interesting thing is people imagine their experience of insecurity is really complicated and unique, that no one quite suffers like they do. And so they think they're going to need a unique solution. Um, but, I, you know, I've had 15,000 coaching hours over the last wow. uh, 12 years in, in this subject. And so it's such a boring problem in my mind. It's so predictable. It's so structured, <laughs> it's so universal, which is, which is great. Like, cause that's what you want. You want someone who, who could solve a problem in their sleep. It's so simple in their mind. And um, so, so someone comes feeling like, oh no, you know, my problem's different my struggles harder and my job is to take them out of their story to help them stop thinking that they're so special and to, and to bring them into process out of story, out of fear and into process. And so then the invitation to actually examine the seven practices for overcoming insecurity and to see that there is a roadmap, there is a path. Uh, it's a predictable path because it's a predictable problem. So, yeah, then it's an invitation to understand these seven practices and how they apply to, to their individual life. Sorry. So these seven practices, what's, can we go over those? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So just to be clear, my life's work was not to invent these seven. It was to, first of all, discover them when I, you know, encounter my own insecurity, probably when I was 31 or 32, when I stepped out of my comfort zone, tried to launch my own business and write my own book and was like, oh no, now, now I've put myself out in the world and, I'd gone from this safe space to going, I'm out there and all this insecurity was instantly exposed and, and, and it paralyzed me. And so I began a quest to go, is this a solvable problem? And in my quest to do that, I discovered there were plenty of people that had solved it. And in every case, these seven practices showed up, whether they were aware of it or not. And so my life's work firstly was to apply these seven to myself and then to model it and to create structure around it so that it, it became a pathway for others to follow too. Well, well that's so, a, let me interject a little bit. That's actually not a bad way to actually do it is like put the work on yourself, right? And just say, Oh, you have it, to. Yeah. Is it working? Is it not working? Or yeah, yeah. We tweak this a little bit here and there. And that's how I learn. You know, I learn from my mistakes. Exactly. Part. You got to, yeah, you got to embody your message and smoke what you're selling and apply it to yourself first. <laughs> but that was a bold, that was a bold move though, to go out and just uh, <laughs> start it. Right. I mean, I couldn't, was it stressful for you? I mean, obviously well, just if, it wasn't off. initially because it felt so life giving and so energizing, but then it was stressful because then I found a bunch of fear and uncertainty in myself and realized there were some things I'd never uncovered in myself, some stories from my childhood, some beliefs and assumptions about myself that I wasn't good enough that I'd kind of been able to hide behind. Um, but then I exposed myself by jumping into the world. Um, so, so yeah, these, these, was that the first time you'd done something big like that? Well, yeah, kind of, because I, I, 
become a church pastor. So I grew up in a Christian world. Okay. Uh, it made sense to me. It was very safe, very loving. I, I became the pastor of the church that I grew up in, which so it was a stretch, obviously, but it was a stretch within a safe world, a world that I felt that I was good at, that I was that I belonged to. So it wasn't until I kind of left that world and started a coaching business and, you know, with people who are outside my familiar tribe, <laughs> that I'm like, oh, my goodness, I don't know this world and this world doesn't know me and now I feel exposed. Now I feel like a fraud. I feel like I don't belong. And so, yeah, that was a massive step for me and I didn't see it coming because I'd always kind of felt like I was a confident guy. Um, so it was that stepping out that exposed it to me. But do you feel and, like it changed you? I mean, it seems like it did, obviously, because you knew you well, could take a step it, like that. Yeah. You learned that. Of course. It, I can handle this. Of course it did. Yeah, of course it did. Because when I uncovered my insecurity and worked through them, I realized, no, no, this I was okay. And it was all just uh, in my head. And, and these fears were built on a work of fiction. Uh, and so, yeah, freeing myself from that meant that I was able to step up and step into this space and really align with a purpose that was bigger than me and not about me. And, you know, I think I was a good pastor, but I think I'm an excellent coach. I think this is really what I was born to do. And, you know, since then I've just finished writing my fifth book and, you know, I get to speak it around the world and, and connect with all kinds of really amazing people doing all kinds of things and, and equip them with a framework that they, they didn't have and they wouldn't have had had I not overcome my own insecurity. So, yeah, it's definitely changed me. Absolutely. We'll get to those principles here in a minute, but touching on that a little bit, I mean, you know, starting this podcast was one of the biggest things of me kind of stepping out of my comfort zone and knowing that I'm going to open myself up to the world and, you know, everything that's positive or negative in it and how would I be able to handle like that? And just, you know, I always feel like a lot of people when I'm generally speaking, you know, find themselves in some comfort zone and they never really take a chance at something they really want out of life or whatever. And like, you know, do you have a safe space and, you know, you're secure and, you know, nothing can go wrong, but if you change, take yourselves out of these barriers and you find out what you're made of and find out how you can handle these. And if, once you overcome them, it's a whole new feeling. And so, yeah, I was just wanting to say that I just admire like stories like that, just that, you know, you take a chance at something because I feel like so many people end up not taking that chance. And that would even cause, you know, just something inside them as far as insecurity and kind of regret and remorse that they never, and almost resentment that just, they never took a chance on something they really wanted to do. They just always played it safe, which is, I'm not saying it's always bad, but it's not always. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, Nathaniel Brandon, his book, The Psychology of Self-Esteem, he talks about the fact that you can kind of break down life into one simple choice. Do you either face up or do you run away? Ooh. So when life presents an opportunity or an adventure or a chance to step up, you either you either accept it or you you run. And so the interesting thing when you run or when you hide is that in the process, you take shame, guilt, and anxiety with you because you teach yourself that you're not good enough, that you don't have what it takes, that you're not a strong person, and that you have to keep running. So, so you're right, when you hide, when you pull back, when you run, you undermine your own self-esteem and build this pattern of weakness that just gets worse. Uh, as opposed to when you face up, it's hard and daunting. You don't think you're going to do it, but you actually get through it. And in the process, you teach yourself you're stronger than you thought and yeah. and you do have what it takes and you're going to be okay. And it becomes a success reference point and it levels you up. And then you think, well, if I did that, that was possible. What else is possible? What else could I do that I didn't think I could do before? Yeah. Many people don't want to open themselves up just because you think most people are scared of being vulnerable. Well, I think most people are insecure. I, I think that's the problem. They fear that if they were to step out up, they're going to get found out. And if they get found out, it's going to be catastrophic because then everyone will see who they really are. And at their core, they're afraid that they're no good. They don't fit in. Yeah, it's an insecurity problem. But it's got to lead to some type of vulnerability too, I would think too, and just learn how to you know, I don't know, I guess that's a fine line you go along with being insecure and vulnerable or are they almost one and the same? Yeah. Well, I think sometimes people get rewarded for vulnerability in a way that makes them more dysfunctional. So, you know, if you come out and say, look, I got mental health issues, I'm struggling with anxiety, I've been suffering with depression, you're almost celebrated for that vulnerability, which seems strange to me because it's like, hang on a minute, the point of vulnerability is not to be rewarded for being vulnerable. The point of vulnerability is to step into the light 
be clear about what's going on and then change it and then get help and then deal with it. Like don't stop in vulnerability. It, yeah. That's right. A, that's a good point. That's a great point. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about it in that light, but yeah, you shouldn't be, I don't know. What is the fine line of not to reward that? And how do you, you know, or tell somebody it's okay to be vulnerable or insecure yeah. sometimes without rewarding it. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it speaks to the the first practice. I don't know if, you, if you're ready for me to explore these seven practices. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can, we can go ahead. So, so practice one is to step into the light. So that's a vulnerable okay. thing to do. So okay. st- step into the light. So that means stop running, stop hiding, stop pretending, stop avoiding, to be honest and say, yeah, I get you're insecure about being insecure, but until you actually admit you're insecure, well, what do you, you can never change that. Until you admit there's a problem, until you admit, you're not happy that you're stuck, that you're afraid, <laughs> like you can't do anything about it. Sure. Um, I agree Yoda, with that. Yoda says, named must your fear be before banish it. You can. So <laughs> you got to get clear. You got to turn the light on. You got to come out. So that's a massively vulnerable thing to do, but that's just practice one. So that's not the end of the game. That's just the beginning. That's the and, same way with almost addiction, right? To admit that there's a problem. Well, a hundred percent. There's no other way. And so the interesting thing though with insecurity is that when you step into the light, so much of insecurity festers in the dark, it becomes a monster because you never name it, you never get precise. So it's these big abstract fears, these big broad assumptions that are just terrorizing you and undermining you. But when you turn the light on and actually have a look, it's never as bad as you thought it was. So for example, um, like we make, often, own, we make them worse than what they really are. People, well, we do. They take on I, a life of themselves. I agree with yeah. that. I agree with that. So to step into the light, so specifically with insecurity, people think, you know, I say to people, what are you most afraid of? And, and often it's a, either one of two things. It's some kind of fear of failure or some kind of fear of rejection, or sometimes it's both. I'm going to try something that's not going to work, or I'm going to put myself out there and people aren't going to like me. Sure. I get it. But that's not accurate. That's not what anyone is actually afraid of. It's the level beneath that. Because if you think you're afraid of failure, I mean, the only way to never fail is never try. Good point. It doesn't even make sense. And the only way to never be rejected is to never put yourself out there or or obsess about pleasing every single person for the rest of your life. So they're kind of nonsense solutions because they're not really the problem. I would agree. The problem is one level beneath. So if you think about this, you're not afraid of failure. You're afraid of the personal implications of failure. You're afraid that if you were to fail, now it says something about you as a human being. You are a failure. It's same as rejection. You're not afraid of being rejected. You're afraid that if you were to be rejected, what does that say about you? Oh, it says that in your mind, it says that you don't belong. You don't deserve. You're not worthy of love. That's a good so, point. That's a good point. So you're actually afraid of your own opinion of yourself. And That's very good I never thought about it like that, but that's exactly when I've taken chances and done stuff that if I didn't take the chance to, you know, ask the girl out or, you know, take a step into trying something new or whatever, I was really just afraid of what was going on inside me rather than what would actually yeah. happen afterward, the after, or the, yeah, afterwards. Hmm. So that's good. So step, when you step into the light and you see, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of my own opinion of me. I'm not afraid of their opinion of me. I'm afraid of what I think of me. And, and it's just an opinion. I'm afraid of my own opinion of myself. So you think, oh, okay, well, it's just an opinion. What if that opinion's wrong? Like it's already the fear's getting smaller and smaller sure. more closely looking at it. And then even more amazing is you realize that this opinion more than likely started before you were seven or 10. Like, you know, so what you're actually dealing with is the opinion of a scared child. That's what this whole insecurity is based on. Some stuff went down when you were young. You assumed it meant something bad about you, mm-hmm. formed an opinion about it, gathered some evidence. You became certain you were right, and that became the story, and you've just assumed it was true ever since. So that's perfect. That's, that's exactly, exactly it. So when you get some eyes on it, turn the lights on, and you go, oh, all I'm dealing with here is the opinion of a scared child, then you go, that has to be a solvable problem. Like you go from this abstract monster that you could never touch to now realizing all you're dealing with is the opinion or assumption of a scared child. We can fix that problem. I promise you. I would agree. I would agree. Mm. I would agree with that. 
And that, and that would take us on to step two. Practice two is then to go, righto, because um, people go, yeah, okay, I've got, I've got an opinion problem and it's, and it's a, the, as a child I formed opinions about myself. But then they're like, so why did I form those opinions? Oh, that's right. I formed those opinions because of what was said to me or done to me, you know, because my dad was mean or I got bullied or I was abused or my parents were divorced. Mm. So then it's like, uh, uh, it's not my fault that I've got these opinions. Other people made me have these opinions. And so I'm stuck. I'm now a victim. So well, I can't change it. It is what it is. You can't change the past. Oh, well, I just have to manage it. I've seen that, that, and even with myself, that I've had friends and, you know, family members and to say, oh, well, this is how it was always been done with my family. And this is just how it was ingrained on me and I can't change it. And so that, that's, not, eh, well, that's not true. You can change it. You know, I mean, you're completely different from your, you know, your parents or whoever in a, a certain way. So if you really want to change something and grow out of, you know, an insecurity, you can. I mean, you just, just cause your parents did it or whatever doesn't mean that it's ingrained on you. Well, this is the point of practice too, because it realizes where the action took place. So I don't know if you've ever thought about misdirection before, but it's a magician's only trick. Yeah. So if they can convince you all the action's happening in their left hand and you're paying full attention to the left hand, they could be doing anything in the right hand, but you're not watching. Correct. And so the trick happens, it feels supernatural, it's magic, you can't control it. So that's often what happens when a person reviews their past. There's all this misdirection happening. They think all the action took place over here. What was said to them, what was done to them, what was modelled, the bad things that happened. That's not where the action happened. It always happened over here. We are sense-making creatures. We're storytellers. We go into the world with two questions for every experience. Question one, why did that happen? Question two, what does it mean about me? That's where all the action's happening. So parents get divorced. It's not the divorce that ruins your life. It's the answer to the question. So why is this happening? I think it's happening because I annoyed my parents. I stressed them. Mm. What does it mean about me? It means that I hurt the people I love. You know, if I was a better kid, my parents would still be together. I ruined this. I did this. So the the opinion of a four-year-old answering those questions, that's what creates the, the narratives, not what happens. So when you see that, you kind of realize you're not the actor in this story being written for you. You're the storyteller. You've got the pen. You've always had the pen. You're the one creating these narratives. You're the one forming these opinions. And when you see that you created them, then you kind of go, ah, well, then I can change them. Sure. If you think someone else created them, then you're going to hope that someone else changes it for you or you're going to hope that your parents apologize or the bully apologizes or whoever hurt you comes back and fixes it. But that's not what created the problem. Right. You did this. You decided. You agreed. You assumed. You formed an opinion. So until you go back and review those opinions and those assumptions, you'll still be stuck. But practice two is to take responsibility for your role in the storytelling and to go back and review that. Basically, just kind of self-reflect on yourself and just really learn, you know, create self-awareness and how it really happened. Yeah, but to review the data is an important distinction because – you know, to go back and have a look at that experience because you you made assumptions based on very limited data as a kid with not much emotional intelligence, not much maturity. You assumed parents being divorced must have been about you. But you go back and review the data and you're like, well, actually, you know, you were four and you thought you had the power to ruin your parents' life. Mm. You couldn't even tie your shoes at four. Like, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> let alone let alone had the power to ruin a marriage. Like settle down a bit. That wasn't about you. That had nothing to do with you. Ah, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Like, So it's to question the assumptions based on reviewing the data. So it is a journey back to the origins, back to the beginning of these stories. That That is an essential part of overcoming insecurity. You got to go all the way back. All the way back. And even if your parents are probably trying to blame a son or daughter that it was their fault, that it's probably really not. It was just that father or mother just focusing their external anger onto their child just because. Totally of, right. yeah. yeah. It's still misdirection. It's still misdirection. No one has the power to bless you or curse you without your permission. Don Miguel Ruiz in the four agreements, he says, That's it's not book. the words. Oh, incredible book. Not the words spoken to you uh, that, that ruin your life. It's just the ones you agree with. So, you again, you have the pen. You're the one forming the opinions. Yeah. That's so that's that's practice two, hundred percent responsibility. I would agree. I like that. Okay. So we're going over to number three. 
So number three is to stack the pain. So no one's ever solved this problem except from a place of pain. Um, it's easy to ignore pain. Like this is how people smoke cigarettes. Like you'd think in today's world, we know smoking causes cancer. It's very expensive. It, you know, all kinds of side effects, but you can just ignore that if you want. You don't have to pay attention to the cost. But if you did pay attention to the cost and stack the pain and go, oh my goodness, this is costing me. This is killing me. This is, you know, creating a whole bunch of side effects. Then you link a massive amount of pain to that. And then naturally everything we link pain to, we want to avoid. So to stack the cost for insecurity is to stop pretending it's not ruining your life, to stop pretending it's normal or natural or unavoidable. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Learn to realize, no, no, your fear about not being good enough is ruining your marriage. It's ruining your, your parenting. It's stopping you ever going for that promotion. It's getting in the way of your finances. Like it's creating chaos in your life. Stop pretending that it's not. Get some eyes on the cost. Do an accurate cost assessment for how these opinions you formed in your childhood that are still running your life, see how they are costing you. Because if you could be clear about how they're costing you, you have such an incredible amount of motivation to go, well, it has to stop here. Sure, it's scary to face the fear, but if I don't, this gets worse. You know, another 10 years of living like this, oh, my goodness. Mm. Like the cost just compounds into the future. Um, yeah, Everything we do in life is motivated by avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure, and you can change your pain associations by what you pay attention to. So stack the pain is about assessing cost accurately for unresolved insecurity in your life. So you have massive motivation to do something about it. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that just over time, how much damage they can be doing themselves, you know, mentally and physically just by taking these negative behavioral patterns. And it's, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's so, I don't know, mind blowing or what the word I'm looking for is here, but I just don't understand if it's just people just getting this, that negative behavioral loop or, and they just think it's actually a positive behavioral loop. And that's just how they reward themselves. Like you said, smoking cigarettes and they just, and there's so much information out there. Just says it's obviously not good for you, but, <laughs> and, but it's like, are they, I guess with that insecurity, that's just the only thing they have to actually look forward for themselves, you know, to, to reward exactly. them. And it makes, yeah. it makes no sense how people can get into that, that loop of behavior. I just don't understand it at all. Well, that's right. It's just the amazing thing about being a human. We can we don't have to pay attention to everything. We can't pay attention to everything. And what we pay attention to changes how we experience life. So you can avoid the things that are killing you. You can. But if you actually paid attention and were honest, then you have massive motivation to do something about that. So, so that's practice three. Mm. So you turn that that pain into the motivation. It drives you. No one solves this except from a place of pain. No one comes to me and go, oh, yeah, Jamie, it, it would kind of be nice to have some better beliefs about myself. They come to me and they go, Jamie, like I'm dying. I, this is killing me. This is, if I keep going like this, I'll end up divorced. My parent, my kids will hate me. I'll ruin my business. I'll end up broke. Like I, this is chaos here and I can't live another day being eaten alive by these fears and insecurities. Like I don't want to be this guy. Do you find so, out a lot of your clients are almost have hit rock bottom with insecurities, so to speak? Well, perhaps not, perhaps, um, but they have to have pain. So I think rock bottom, I don't think is necessary. I think if you can realize that you don't necessarily have to get to the absolute point of surviving for your life before you can change it, if you can see that there's a map, then you can you can be a bit more mature about it and stack the pain before it gets catastrophic and nip it in the bud here. It, it's like 
a business. Like you don't have to get bankrupt to learn a business lesson. You could, you could actually have a look at the books, realize, oh my goodness, this is going backwards and make some change here. You don't have to let it go all the way before you make change. <laughs> you, you could stop it early. So that's the yeah. same with insecurity. You could stop it now if you want, just get some eyes on the cost. That'll create enough motivation to go, yep, good. I've got to do this. I know I'm afraid of going back and reviewing the past and having a look, but if I don't, you know, there's more pain involved in staying the same than than change. Often people link more pain to change than staying the same. And so they they just keep staying in their comfort zone. And a lot of people don't like change, though, you think? Of course they don't. So this is going, yeah, sure, you don't like change. But if now there's more pain involved in staying here, then it doesn't matter that there's pain involved in change because it's less pain than not changing. I would agree with that 100%. Mm. Let's, let's go to number four. So that's only half the motivation strategy. If it's just about pain avoidance, then you'll do just enough to get out of pain and then you'll okay. stop. Okay. So practice four is you've got to think about pleasure. You've got to think about developing a compelling life vision because you're going to need some, not just moving away from motivation, but moving towards motivation. So don't just tell me what you don't want. What do you want? What's the dream? Like, <laughs> where are you taking this thing? What would excite you? What would you love to have happen? Yeah. That's an essential part of being a human, you know, to desire is human. And so many people have shut down desire because it's too costly and dangerous, but you got to get back into that dream space again and start lifting your eyes and setting some vision for your future and realizing that if you don't achieve that, you know, if you get to the end of your life and you've not ever done what you were capable of, you're going to be devastated. So that compelling vision is a really important piece. And you think about the hero's journey, like Frodo, um, if he's if he loses sight of the fact that his vision is to rid the world of this ring, then it all gets way too hard. Like, what's the point of risking his life every day being attacked by orcs? Go back to the Shire, Frodo. Like, there's no point. But he's like, no, I must. I must. This is my destiny. I have to. This is for others. I I, I have to. This is my destiny. And so, that that sense of vision, destiny, purpose is a central part of this because if you don't solve insecurity, you're never going to be the man or woman that you desire to be. You're never going to actually achieve your potential. And that's catastrophic. Do you think that's, I don't want to say a social narrative, but it may be just a narrative that's kind of taught for adolescents growing up that, Hey, you know, only 1% out of, you know, actually make their dreams and become something, you know, an actor, a basketball player, whatever, soccer player, whatever you want to say. So it's kind of taught that, you know, just go for the safe road, you know, kind of what we touched on earlier. Let's go to safe road, you know, find a job, go to college, you know, find the job, work out your years, and then just figure it out after that. You know, do you think a lot of it just that's how it's ingrained now on people? Well, more than just ingrained, I think it's in, intuitive. Like you, if you go to a, a primary school or, you know, a someone who's under 10 and you ask them what they want, often they've still got the dream of sure. want to play NBA, want to be a superstar or want to be an astronaut. Like they've got the dream because anything's possible. Sure. But by the time someone's 15, 16, 17, 18, they've realized that's not how the world works. You don't get what you want. You get what you get. You settle, you survive. It's too dangerous to put yourself out there because it'll hurt if you don't do that. So I think most people just realize to, to dream is dangerous especially if you're insecure because if you set a bar and tell everyone this is what you're going to do and don't achieve it, then that proves that you're no good. It proves that you weren't smart or strong. And so it's just safer not to dream. And, but in the process of shutting that down, you dehumanize yourself because humans are dreamers. Humans do desire. It's a central part of being alive. We want what we want. Yeah. <laughs> Every living thing grows. We, we have this desire to expand, to experience more. And so that's to be honest and go, yeah, actually, I do want more. I do want happiness and success and love and influence. That is central to what I want. So let's be honest about that rather than pretending that's not true. If we didn't have people who didn't dream and try to, you know, think of new ideas and take chances, kind of like what yourself did. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. I mean, it still blows my mind that we're able to do, you know, these conversations virtually. I mean, you're in Australia, correct? And <laughs> I'm on, right. Yeah, we're on the other side of the world. And that throughout this, I mean, our paths would have never crossed or most likely would have probably never crossed or actually had to sit down. Yeah, had to sit down and have a conversation such as this. And yeah, so it's just like, yeah, don't be afraid to dream, man. Don't be afraid to take those chances. Oh. Exactly. And even think, you know, this microphone, I look at the technology. How do we make this thing? Like who came up with this idea? How did that happen? 
Yeah, yeah, like because someone dreamed. Exactly. Someone, like who and who took incredible. the time to sit around and make all these different, you know, yeah. ways. Like who who was it? Thomas Edison. Who invented the light bulb? Yes. He said, yeah, like, Thomas Edison. That's yeah, right. Yeah. He said, like, I, hey, when he first did it, he said, Well, I found out like 991, 91, 99 ways not to make one or something until he finally did it right. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's that's four is to get in touch with your dream again. And yes, it's dangerous, and yes, it's difficult, and yes, it's costly, but it's human and and if you lose sight of the dream, there's no point facing your fear. It's too hard. Everyone who's ever solved insecurity has got back into this sense that they do desire more for their life and they would be very unsatisfied if they got to the end with the music still inside them. Do you think that's also part of this human nature? We're always just desiring more and what's the next best, best thing is? Well, it is. It's, it's, a, it's an honest thing about being human. To desire is human. So it's there. People who tell me, oh, I don't know what I want or I don't want anything, I'm like, Rubbish. I don't believe you. Not even for a second. Mm. You're just afraid. You're just yeah. scared. Yeah, you're you just got either. hurt before. You yeah. just protected yourself and are playing it safe. You do have desire. You do have the capacity for more than you're currently experiencing. You're just afraid. So if you're going to solve insecurity, you have to be clear about the quest that you're on and get in touch with that adventure and that desire again, because it is inside you. Here's a good question that, with your clients and, you know, talking about desires and what do you want out of life? And do you find that there's a difference in working with somebody who's very introverted versus extroverted and they just can't really open up and tell you exactly just because they're not comfortable. They just, you know, it's like kind of what you said. They've always been shamed if they actually did try to take a chance and opened up. And, uh, but you know, somebody obviously who's extroverted probably doesn't mind talking and tell you anything and everything that they want to. I mean, is there a challenge there? Of course, there's a challenge there, but I, I undermine that challenge by questioning the assumption that they actually are an introvert. I think all that's happened there is they've developed a persona to meet their needs and protect their fears at a previous time in life. They're not actually an introvert, just like someone's not actually an extrovert. It's mm. just a strategy that's worked for them. It's a strategy that's met their needs and protected their fears. So again, it's an insecurity problem. I would say I would just question that assumption. Obviously, at times before, you've been honest, you've put a, a hope out there, a dream out there, you've been shut down, you've been rejected, it's hurt. And so you've made a vow, that's it. I'll never put myself out there again. I'll never have an opinion. I'll be, I'll be quiet. I'll wait for others. Then I can't get hurt. And then you've convinced yourself that that's who you are. That's not who you are. <laughs> like that's nowhere near who you are. Just a character you've developed to serve a purpose at a, in a season. And it's almost maybe a defense mechanism just for somebody. It's entirely a defense yeah, mechanism. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. Like people who say they don't really care what people think about them and that's just what they say. And it's like, mm. <laughs> it's not true. It's like, yeah, you probably care a little bit. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's what I've always assumed that it was this kind of defense mechanisms because yeah, yeah. You know, if you just look at like, you know, human nature again, most people, now, I would say 99 times out of 100, they're going to be in some certain way unless they have some weird you no know, mentality that I don't know anything about yet. But yeah, so, but no, I would agree with that 100%. So that's practice four. And practice five is to get help from someone who doesn't care about you. Mm. So this one's a little strange because you'd think to overcome insecurity, you'd need someone who cares about you, who loves you, who believes in you, who's going to put air in your tires and wind in your sails. Sure. But those people actually get in the way um, because they confuse you about who the hero is in the story. So like, so almost be saying like a, like a yes man, so to speak, like everything well, you do is great and... Sure. Or just someone who cares about you too much. They're always bringing their energy. I want you to be happy. Come on. I believe in you. I encourage you. It's still external energy. And, and they're positioning themselves as the expert in your life, which is a form of judgment. Okay. So I love thinking about the hero's journey metaphor. And so every hero at some point needs a guide. Sure. They need a wisdom character. There's a Gandalf, there's a Yoda, there's a Dumbledore, there's a Mr. Miyagi, but they're not the hero. And so at the crisis moment, the wisdom character's gone. Gandalf's gone. Dumbledore's dead. Yep. Yoda's missing. It's not Mr. Miyagi fighting, you know, the bully. It's Daniel's son. So no. no one's coming to save you. You created this mess. You're the only one who can fix it. But you will need someone who can show you the path and equip you with the tools and get you out of your own story. You know, if Gandalf doesn't equip and prepare Frodo, well, he's never going to get there. So we all need help, especially with insecurity, because it's so ingrained with, we're so sure that 
our map is true, that our evidence is accurate. We've got all these stories that prove our assumptions are right. And so it's very hard to get objective about your own subjective story. But someone who doesn't care, they're not going to uh, get in the way. They don't have a vested interest. So it actually, they can hold a clean space for you. Um, so it, it might sound strange, but it's a very powerful thing when someone says, listen, you can't please me, you can't disappoint me, I don't need anything from you, there's no right or wrong, there's no good or bad, I'm just here to serve you to get more of what you want, but you've got to want it because me wanting it for you was useless to you because as soon as I go away, then nothing's changed anyway. So it's to treat people as a responsible adult and to serve them for a season and then get out of the way. So I think that's the beautiful role of a coach or a mentor or, you know, someone to come in for a season and get you out of your own head, show you the process, give you the certainty that you can do it and then equip you and then, and then disappear again exactly. <laughs> rather no, than I agree a therapist I agree go on for 20 years. Yeah. I agree hundred percent with that. Just because, you know, I coach CrossFit on the side and that I can only, you know, tell people, you know, you know, my best practices, principles that have worked for me and everything. But just because, you know, these things have worked for me doesn't mean they're going to work for, for you, but you got to kind of almost find your own way of what does work for you and get out of your own way and find out how to get to point A to point B. And I can, you know, and I'm not always going to be there, you know, or the coach is not, or yeah, the coach or the mentor or whatever will not always be there. So in order to, you know, fix the problem or get to wherever your goal is that, you know, you got to eventually learn it, how to do it yourself. And that, yeah, you know, you can kind of, like you said, the hero's journey, you can kind of show them the way and give them guidelines and help along the way. But eventually, it's ultimately comes up to them. And it's a hard thing for people to learn. Well, that's practice six, be the hero, because eventually you got to do this. Eventually, you have to go face the dragon. Right. Eventually, you have to go confront these assumptions and these opinions. And it's high stakes, right? Because you either die or you come out the other side reborn. That's the hero's journey. Whenever you're watching a hero's journey movie, you are on the edge of your seat because it looks like the hero is going to die. It looks like they're not going to find a way through. It looks like the obstacles are sure. too big. They're doing something impossible. So that's how it'll feel to you too. You're like, I'm facing these fears that I've always thought was true. And if I find that they are true, I'll die. It's the end of the story. If I go back and review all the data and realize, yep, look at that. I am bad. I am inadequate. I don't belong. Ah, oh, you, you can't recover from that. That is the end of the story. However, if you fully go and face the fear and fully examine these assumptions and opinions all the way back and realize they're not true, they've never been true, it was just the fiction of a child, then you get to go free. You come out the other side transformed. Mm -hmm. You've actually deconstructed this story all the way back to the beginning and it's no longer there. It's no longer true. You've ended it. And then like, that's a transformational moment. And from there, then, then you get access to practice seven, the final piece, which is to then rewrite the story. So you had the pen, you've always had the pen. Now use the pen as an adult. Now use the pen with intention, with purpose, with skill. Now write a narrative, write opinions about yourself that you like, opinions that will serve you, opinions that will equip you to go into the world and be and have and do all that you want. So people often want to rush to practice seven. They're like, oh, yeah, I get it. I just got to rewrite the story. So let me write some affirmations on my mirror. Let me just be positive to myself and it's all solved. It's like, no, this is practice seven, not practice one. You have to go on a journey and fully deconstruct the old story first. Otherwise, if you just try and put a Band-Aid over it and try and overwrite the new story, as soon as you get tired or stressed or anxious or triggered, that old story is going to come out and take over like it has done every other day in your life. You have to deconstruct it first. Then yeah. you're free to rewrite the new story. Yeah, everybody wants a shortcut. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, whether it be it you know, overcome your insecurities, weight loss, getting to yeah. point A to point B in your life. Yeah, everybody. I, I mean, I want them to, but it's just exactly what you said. You might find a shortcut way, but eventually it's going to catch up with you in some form or the other. And you're going to just go right back to square one. And it's exactly it sucks. Yeah. That's even worse. It's because you go so far and then you end up like, oh, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Then something takes you back, you know, to step one. And then you almost almost creates more insecurity, like you said. And just yeah, exactly you, right. you go down even a darker road and it's tough. So yeah, just do the work. If I had to say anything, just, you know, if it's worth doing, 
you know, it's going to be hard. You know, if ever, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Correct. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm assuming I already know the answer to this, but I want you to kind of elaborate though. I mean, with your work on this and these principles you developed and stuff, are do you, have you always, I said, did you say you've written five books? That's right. Yeah. Have you always just done research and just looking at the stuff and just kind of putting everything together? And uh, is it almost just too much information at once? Or is you just always studying to just find out, you know, what, is there's new trends coming up in it and new research and so sure. to um, I'm a very pragmatic person, so I only care about what works. Uh, That's you know, good. So I'm not, I'm not academic. I don't like, I just, I, I want something that's transformational and I, and I know I'm, I'm going to test its power on my own life first. And if I find that it works and I embody it, then I'll get to share it with others. So, so as a coach early on, I just went, I'd, I'd love to actually serve people and help them transform. I don't want to behavior manage them. I don't just want to give them short-term fixes. I'd love to be able to help people actually change their life and, and it stick. So I realized in order to do that, I got to not deal with behavior. I got to deal with beliefs and because underneath all dysfunction are limiting beliefs and the worst of those limiting beliefs are always the personal ones. Mm. So I just went, I got to get skillful around this. And so, yeah, I learned whatever I needed to learn and I practiced whatever I needed to practice. And I dealt with my own insecurity in every way that I could. And then obviously got better at it and sharper at it and more and quicker at it and more effective at it and, and have built on that. Um, but yeah, I'm constantly learning and constantly growing and, and constantly uh, experiencing more in the world and and bigger experiences in the world of how to do this, but I think that that model has been set for me for for maybe um, five or six years now, and and I th I think it's good. I think it it's a complete model. I think it works really well, and certainly has liberated me and and you know countless others to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I like the path, and I like your beliefs and your strategy behind it it makes perfect sense you know you get to step one you get to step two and step three and i like i like you know when it comes to anything as far as building something or making a a principles like you just said i like steps and it just makes sense with my brain that all right to get to this point you got to master this to get to the next point and to the next point and that i don't know for me it just makes sense like it just i like levels for everything right yeah, and it just and, and it's I guess a, and, and it might be a cliche thought, obviously, but it seems like to work out and almost everything I've done as far as my life, as far as you know, my workouts, competing, it's like you just can't. It's one of those things you can't. What is it? Run before you walk or whatever. You got to yeah, walk before yeah. you run. So you just in, you know, you want to go in there and you see a bunch of these big dogs over there snatching and cleaning and jerking so much weight, and you want to eventually do that, but you can't do it. You got to stay one. And then it's really hard for somebody. And this is what I think would have almost developed insecurity for me just because, you know, my first competition, you know, I wanted to be able to do that stuff, you know, and like be the master and be the best of it all. And I've learned like, Hey, there's no shortcuts to this that you actually, you know, you can't compare yourself to your day one to that person's day, 580, whatever yeah. that they had, and that they've been putting in the work and they found their journey along the way. And it's, Ooh, I got to start this journey here. If you know, if you want to get better at something, if you want to change something about your lifestyle, you got to make these small changes. And you just said it earlier about the compound effect and then you just kind of build off that and build off that and, you know, get to step one, get to step two. And, and then hopefully magic happens for you. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. I love stories like this and, um, and I just, you know, and it makes sense. Like when you and I are talking about it and I just never really have never looked at it and how many people or how many much people can struggle with it. And just that, you know, um, they just don't know how to get out of their own way or find help or whatever. And it just, you know, when I see it, you know, I'm just like, well, just do it. It's just, you know, just change it. It can't be that hard, but it is hard for them. And I just can never put myself almost see myself, what put myself in their shoes and exactly see the things the way they're seeing them. And it's just, it's, it's why it's just, I don't know. It's tough for me. It's almost that it's because I try to relate, but I can to a certain extent, but then it's just like, well, it's just do it. Just do, do what things we've been talking about, but not everybody is, this has that. And it just, it's wild to me. I don't, I just never got it, you know? So, I mean, do you work with a lot of people like that who just initially just say, I won't help, but I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't well, do everyone. it. Everyone. I mean, they, they come to me because they're stuck. If they could do it themselves, they wouldn't be talking to me. And they've kind of realized I've tried it all the ways I can. I, I don't know how to do this. And so, yeah, I'm a, I've always been a curious person. So I love deconstructing things. I kind of have an engineering brain. I want to break it down to its smallest parts and understand the model and 
then build it back again. And so I've just thought about insecurity like that. I've thought, I reckon this is a strategy. I reckon this is not a weird, mysterious, messy problem. I think it's a predictable problem. And so that curiosity around how does it work? I mean, if I could understand how it worked, then I could deconstruct it and reconstruct it and help other people to see how it works for them, bring change. So that's what I've done. Do you know, and, you know, do you feel like a lot more people have come to you, especially during, you know, COVID times? I mean, I know Australia got hit pretty rough, you know, with the rule mm. changes and things like that. I don't know 100% of everything was going on, but I know it was like quarantine or lockdown was pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. did you have a lot of people come to you in these times, like when they actually could? Yeah, kind of exactly. I think the interesting thing about the COVID season was it was such a loss of certainty for people. You know, everything they were certain about the start of 2020, now, now they're uncertain about their jobs, their futures, their finances, their holidays. It was like all the external certainty in their life had gone. And people realized that once the external certainty was gone, they didn't have any internal certainty. Yeah. They were in chaos. All this stuff had been holding them up. And when it was gone, there were some massive problems internally. So, yeah, there were a lot of people that were faced with insecurity that they didn't even know existed before in that period. So, which I think is a gift because it, it's like if you had cancer and you had no idea about it, you'd want to know that you had cancer. The sooner you sure. can deal with it, the better your chances of survival are. So if you can't see that there's an insecurity problem, well, then you can't get to do the work of changing it. So whatever has to happen for that to come to the surface, that to me is a gift. Yeah. And, you know, just touching on that or echoing with that, that, you know, I've kind of said the same thing that life, we feel like I I feel like we're living off momentum so fast. And so, and at a, you know, record pace, I guess. And that, and all of a sudden when it came to a stop, you know, when we had to actually sit down and said, Hey, you can't go stick to your normal routines throughout the day, that it was actually like a lot more awareness came about people's selves and just wonder like, Ooh, you know, what happened in the last 10 years? Was I really happy or really yeah. doing what I thought I was? And that, and then, you know, that's kind of what happened to me. I mean, I'm not saying I had anything bad or insecurities or anything, but it was just like me kind of self-reflecting, is this where I wanted my life to be going? I mean, you know, I didn't really ask questions. I was just going with the flow of things and just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, for example, with my work, I just celebrated, I think what my 10th year. And I was like, Ooh, I've been here 10 years. Was this what I had planned? You know I mean? When I first took that job, I was like, mm, I'll be here a couple of years and I'll move on to something else. But then, you know, ooh, damn, we're here 10 years now. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's just, but it seems like more of this is starting to become, uh, more talked about, more aware that, Hey, it's okay to talk about these things. And it's okay to be, if you have insecurities, it's okay to talk about them. And if you need help, find out somebody like yourself to get the best help you can. And just that never really occurred to me that so much was, or people seemed like, no, everything was always okay on the surface. Yeah, no, you're right. I think that's, that's a good point. It, it, it pulled people up it brought things to the surface. It created awareness. And that to me is a good thing because it then, even though it's painful, it presents an opportunity for change that didn't exist before. Yeah. And just, you know, I mean, you know, I I've, I've, don't wish bad things on anybody or anything, but I mean, to have something like this happen, of course, COVID, I mean, this is one of the pros that came out of it, I guess, that people could start to, you know, think about their lives and think about if it's, you know, how do I get help if I want to stop being, you know, insecure about problem X, Y, and Z or whatever, you know, and, you know, a lot of it, I mean, it's even helped me to talk about, you know, imposter syndrome a lot and just that, mm. you know, and like how to get over it and just have these cool conversations with people like yourself and that, you know, before that or before technology, I would have never been doing that, you know, and just actually learning how to, you know, I've always thought of myself as a person who was uh, not able to express their feelings or emotions very well or just because it was always kind of like, oh, when you'll be, you'll get over it. Just don't worry about it. Just go, you know, go watch TV or go do something. And just, you know, there's like, oh, well, let me just shove it back down here, whatever I'm feeling and, or whatever. So it was kind of like, it's okay to have these conversations. And, you know, and that's one thing that, you know, in starting these podcasts and having these conversations, I want people to kind of reflect on that just because if you're the, you know, the alpha male or you're the tough guy or whatever, it's okay to have, you know, conversations like this and get, you know, things out and talk about, you know, what your feelings and your insecurities and, or seek help. And yeah, cause you don't really, most people don't really understand exact, you know, we touched on earlier, what exactly how it's impacting your health and uh, not only mentally and physically. Exactly right. No, it's so true. So, but again, I know we're getting kind of close on time here and I appreciate you sitting down and having this chat with me. And if people want to seek out to you and find your books and all that, if you want to plug all that, how do they do that? 
I mean, if you just search the Insecurity Project, uh, you'll find me from wherever you are in the world. Or if you can work out how to spell my name, Jamin Fraser, there's only one of me in the world, as far as I can tell. Nice. Uh, you'll, you'll find my podcast, uh, my books, um, short courses, uh, coaching opportunities. So that's that's the best way to get in touch. I'm on. I'm active on the socials, Insta, LinkedIn, Facebook, and my website's jaminfraser.com. So yeah, fairly easy to find. Cool, Jamin. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. Love, lovely conversation. Okay. Uh, anything else we want to touch on or anything you want to say before we uh, call it a night? I'm good. That's been great. Never leave you. Okay. All right. Uh, well, good morning to everyone over there in Australia and good night to everyone here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park